Listeners everywhere, welcome to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan, the weekly fix for your screen addiction and a trusted source for discussion of all things film and television. Please keep in mind that for the purposes of this podcast, Joel and Ryan are not acting as journalists, but rather fellow moving picture enthusiasts. All of their opinions should be taken as such. Also, please be warned that while Joel and Ryan may seem like petulant children, they are, in fact, adults who may occasionally use adult language. While they promise to bleep out all the worst words, it's a good bet you will still understand what they were saying. And now, with no further ado, here's Joel and Ryan. Hello, 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 and welcome. Welcome to the movie show with Joel and Ryan. I am Joel. And I'm Ryan. And I'm Rob. And Rob is joining us. Woohoo! Viva la Rob! Yay! Uh, Great to have you, Rob. How you been? I was sure the actual applause was going to come there. Gee, what a terrible audience. You're not supposed to say that. (laughs) Yeah, they... Yeah, <laughs> they really missed their cue on that one. They did. They really missed the cue on that one. Um, it's good to see you, Rob. How you been? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Thanks for uh, inviting us into this little corner of your mind for this episode. Um, today, we are going to be uh, discussing uh, this little known filmmaker, this, this young upstart of his day, uh, a gentleman by the name of Alfred Hitchcock. Heard of him? I think you have. Uh, so today we are going to be talking about um, the early period, the early period of Alfred Hitchcock. Should we just get into it? Should we just jump right into it? Do we have anything else to talk about? Any business? Do we need to go over the previous show's notes? Anybody? Oh, I have a note. Oh, okay. Back in the, I want to say the third episode of the 1982 thing, uh, in place of Still of the Night, I recommended a different Alfred Hitchcock ripoff by a better filmmaker, Jonathan Demme, and I couldn't <laughs> think of the name, and then we obviously had to move on because I may never thought of the name. Um, the name is The Last Embrace. The Last Embrace. There it is, folks. And as far as Hitch, since we're talking Hitchcock, and I was talking Hitchcock ripoffs, Last Embrace, I believe, is from like 79 or something. So it's not from 82, so don't look for it that way. But Jonathan Demme, Roy Scheider, Janet Margolin, not great, but most Hitchcock ripoffs aren't. I still think it's pretty great, and it's certainly much faster moving and more exciting than uh, Still of the Night, which is pretty, it's not bad, but a bit stayed. Harry breaks down and loses his job after his wife is assassinated. Could it be his turn next? That's the last embrace right there. That's the last embrace for you, baby. All right. Well, here we go, gang. Let's uh let's let's get into a little bit of Alfred Hitchcock. Okay, so that's what we're gonna be talking about today. We have six films that are like a highlight. These are highlights of uh, of his British era, these the the British period of Hitchcock films. And um yeah, so we're going to get going on that. And we're going to start off with a little movie called Lodger, a story of the London fog. Well, uh, you know, before we jump right into the film, there's probably just a little bit of background that 
make sense too. But... Yeah, I guess we should talk a little bit about what what we mean by the British period and yeah. all that other fun yeah, stuff. Yeah, why why Hitchcock, Rob? What's so great about him? I've never I've never seen only a couple of his movies. They're not that great. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> the show's about to go downhill. <laughs> um, you know, I, for me, he's one of my favorite directors, um, and I fell in love with him, you know, at, I guess, age 11, if not before. Um, there is a group of five films called The Forbidden Five uh, that Hitchcock owned outright. Uh, eight years after they were put out, the rights reverted wholly to him, and he kept them under lock and key and wouldn't let them be seen. And there were some of the big ones, uh, Vertigo, Rear Window, uh, Marnie, The Birds, and The Trouble of Harry, I believe. Uh, no, Rope. Rope is in there. So one of those isn't. The Birds maybe isn't. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, he held those back, and until his death in 1980, uh, nobody could see them. They hadn't been seen for like 20 years. Um, and so it took about three years to negotiate with his estate uh, for those films to be re-released. And then they popped up, I believe it was on HBO, um, with a little documentary about it. And I just got fascinated by them. Um, and I watched those good group to start films. with, right? If you're going right. to, if you want to be wowed by them. I mean, that's Vertigo yeah. in particular. Yeah. And I think... You know, it's hard to remember that far back. I'd have been 11 in 1983, but I'm pretty sure I had seen several of his earlier films. One of the films we're going to be talking about, The 39 Steps, um, was one of the first uh, VHS tapes we had when I was a kid. Uh, one year for Christmas, our parents got us a, uh, a VHS deck and a bunch of movies. And of course, these were all the public domain or cheap rip-off movies that you could get or whatever. And the 39 cents yeah, was among them. Yeah, because rental movies cost 89 bucks or whatever yeah. to buy from the studios mm -hmm. because all the rental stores were paying top dollar for them. And it wasn't imagined even then by the studios that people would want to have these in their homes necessarily. They certainly right. imagined us wanting to tape stuff off of TV and everything, but that we would actually buy a movie with a cover in a, in a box or whatever in a clamshell was still but a dream we yeah. people had to start doing that before the studios could see that there was a market for any of it so i i became uh, a hitchcock fan i i believe earlier than 11 years old because i also am pretty certain that north by northwest was one of my earliest favorite films and that would have been long before 1983 that i would have determined a, a favorite film uh so i've been a fan of his um through my father i always went back watch black and white movies that was never a barrier for me that and i was always surprised at the people who you know even when i got to college like why would i watch that it's black and white why would you not what if it's a good movie you know uh, so, so certain barriers that other people had, I didn't have. Um, so, you know, that's why I'm a big Hitchcock fan. When I heard that you guys haven't seen very many of those films, that became a topic that, hey, we could, we could do that. And you know what? He's one of those directors that 
you look through his filmography, if you've seen them all, which I've seen almost all of them, um, you make your first swipe through what are the masterpieces. And you come up with about 12 to 15 titles. And they go, okay, what are great films, but not quite a masterpiece? Well, there's another 12. Okay, what are really good movies, but maybe not great movies? And you got another 10. And, you know, it's just, it's a filmography that's just packed with, with films that you, you try and come up with your top 10 and it's always got 13 in it. And you're like, but all these other films should be on this list. Okay. I'll make it 20. Um, and so, when we agreed to do the show, we thought, because we could have started anywhere. We could have started right. with the, with the purple titles, you know, but it made more sense the way yeah. we operate around here to just start back basically at the beginning. Yep. So this will be covering his British period before he's lured away to Hollywood. And um, the six films we chose to, to focus on are, are really, uh, they're sort of the blueprint. They're sort of the films that, that, that match what we think of when we think of a Hitchcock film. That show um, the way to the golden age of Hitchcock, basically. Exactly, exactly. So he, um, he began in films in 1919 as a, he, he uh, designed title cards, uh, he wrote, he did assistant directing, he did production design. Um, he was a big fan of German expressionist film. Uh, and you can really see that when we get into his first film uh, that we're talking about, uh, which is The Lodger. Um, so if you want to queue up the, the sort of, imdb synopsis of that yeah uh real quick though i mean i'm trying to i've been trying to look here uh and and you can always say uh you know we'll talk about it on another show but why did he sit on those films why did he not want them released why did he, he not want them he wanted them to be an investment for his family down the road and it i oh. mean it was really almost like fortune telling that, that he knew that there was value in those films. In fact, uh, Jimmy Stewart wanted to use a clip from Vertigo for his, I think it was his AFI uh, Lifetime Achievement Award, and he couldn't right. get permission to do wow. it. Um, so, you know, it was, it was thinking ahead. And, I mean, it was a crazy deal that the studio struck with him. I think it was Universal Studios. I'm who sure said, you're right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, after eight years, you know, we've re we've had a chance to re-release it a couple of times. There's no there's no money to be made on it. Sure, if that's what you need to sign on with us, sure, you can have them. And now, I mean, when they were huh. re-released theatrically in like 82 and 83, they made big money at the box yeah. office. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. All right, so let's let's jump. Let's go back into I always want to hit the Dr. Clock's um mind scrabula uh time gorium mind scrabula clip but we're gonna go back in time to 1927 uh to the lodger a story of the london fog um where a landlady suspects that her new lodger is the madman killing women in london the avenger yep but not that avenger so not the avengers right so Basically, in this particular group of super old movies, this is the super oldest. Yes. And it yes. has the oldest 
feel to it. It has uh, Ivor Norvello is this. I guess not really the star of it. He kind of is. He is. He was the star that was in the movie at the time, right? And <laughs> um, and he has a very like I don't know what to say it. He has a very uh, Valentino esque style of silent movie acting. Um, got all the guys have super heavy eye makeup, <laughs> and they all kind of have this. You know, you, it's weird, but the, one of the things I hate about silent movies, there's a lot of things I really, really like about it, but one of the things I hate about it is how when people aren't talking, they're just, they're talking with their movements and stuff, and then I always, I don't like that. There's not a lot of this. Mostly when they're talking, they're just talking to each other, and then, and I would say more than half the time in The Lodger, you're not even, uh, it's not even translated for you. Like you can follow it. You know, right. I think one of the things that happened with the lodger and I only got this from reading trivia while I was, after I was done watching it and watching some of the, the special material that are associated with it. But one of the things that happened was, a uh, somebody was come in to kind of take a, a go at it for the studio to make it a little bit tighter of a film. And one of the things he did was get rid of a bunch of the dialogue cards that wasn't needed. And whoever that guy was, I can't remember. We know who he was, but it's not a mystery. But he did us a favor there, I think, because you you really only need translated for you what you need translated. Sometimes you do right. need that. But uh, good silent films and 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 uh, just good visual storytelling in general, you don't need a lot of that. We talked about the last time we were together the. The, or maybe it was the last time we were with Michael. But either way, we talked about that, the scene where there's a scene happening and there's people talking to one another and we know what they're saying. And we, the, you know, we think probably there was dialogue that was meant to be put in there. From the verdict, yeah. Yeah, from the verdict, that's right. Yep. And it just, when you see it and you're like, man, it's all there. This doesn't right. need anything else. In fact, this would be diminished with an extra thing. Right. That was one of the things I super liked about the lodger, but I I don't like the the weepy string. You know this kind of yeah. acting thing. Like uh, I've never liked that. So that was a bit of an impediment. But man, Rob, there were some things in this that just knocked my socks off. The my first thing I noticed where I was like, oh, that's so cool is the. The well, just all of his weird crossfades and montages and stuff, and like that. I don't know how cool that was then. I suspect it was super cool. Yeah. It's the fact that it's still cool just shows you that you know, even something that was innovative that we've seen a hundred times, if you do it right in the moment, is still cool. It lasts forever. That shot of the back of the newspaper delivery truck with the guys inside those weird little windows where their heads are doing this because of the way the truck is moving. And it looks like eyeballs, irises moving together in eye holes in the back of the truck. Of course, and these are the these are the news delivery people of the day, the sensational people in that. That idea juxtaposed with eyeballs sort of reading the headlines. I mean, my yeah. God. Yeah. I, I love the way the film opens. Even the title cards, um, it does this sort of, Man in yeah. on this image of the man, and really, that's going to be the theme of this film: is the world closing in on who will turn out to be the wrong man. Yeah, 
um, which is going to be a theme that we're going to see a lot of. Spoiler alert for films. the Lodger story right. of the London Fog. Yeah. Um, and, but which then it, it probably the... nobody listening to this has actually seen. Right. And now um, you know that the, that the guy is, isn't the real killer. Although sorry. if you give it an ounce of thought at the beginning of the movie, how could he be? Otherwise the whole thing is just, every scene has a sense of inevitability to it, right? Or, or right. obviousness to it. If you really do kick back, uh, Right. Remember, uh, Rob and I just watched a movie where I was like, well, it's got to be such and such. I mean, it just has to be. And it wasn't because we were given any evidence that it was. It was because there isn't anybody else. Right. This film hasn't given us red herrings that are worthy of coming back into the movie and being the bad guy or being the killer. It, it can only be one person. And in this case, it's like, boy, if this really is the person, then all this histrionics are just leading to a, a what? some kind of weird payoff, you know, like, yeah. if you've seen enough movies, we're not really spoiling this for you. I'll just say, but yeah. And he is and creepy and he's super creepy. He's a super creep. He is. It's it shot that way to make you believe that he is that. And then it slowly revealed that it isn't. Yeah. And by the end, when it, you know, for sure it isn't, you're relieved because you've, You've come around from being super creepy to being somebody that you understand who's who's out there trying to catch the Avenger uh, because his... Uh, okay, let's not do any more spoilers, but uh, <laughs> he has a reason for trying to catch the Avenger. Yeah, he's on um, the hunt, and that's how he gets wrapped up in the lives of all these people. Yeah. Um, there, there's, but getting back to it, there really is a... I don't know. There really is a lot of time spent with the people of the press right. and how they are giddy and excited at the, like we are from watching the movie, presumably right. Hitchcock was one of the first filmmakers, maybe one of the first English language filmmakers we'll say who, who you felt his presence in the thing. Yeah. Like there, like, like he is a silent narrator who has a point of view on right. what you're seeing, feeling, and, you know, this is something that you almost never see today. In fact, if you do get a sense of it, it's jarring and unnatural and horrible. But in the in the time, it was really, really neat. It was the storyteller, the guy behind the camera, like, what, we don't, when do we trust him, and when, why don't we, and how, what's an effective use of those things, you know what I mean? Yep. And I and, think and, that's that's really neat. And it the metaphor for that in the film is the news business and how it how blood makes the print and the yep. print you know sh shares the grisly details with the people and how that we they we and they gobble that up. And yeah. he doesn't judge them so much as we're we're forced to ask ourselves the question: What is it about us that makes us want to get into these yeah. serial killings and stuff? And you know, I think that's he, interesting too. He he also opens the film with with all these different media sources, uh, disseminating the information, um, and it's a way of saying let's not just put up a bunch of title cards that mm -hmm. explain what's going on or have two people talking. We're giving off giving out this information in a visual way. Sure, there's text involved, but Hitchcock was a real believer in pure cinema, which is is visual storytelling. Right. Um, and I think it goes to show that he had a knack for that even early on 
with the fact that they could take out title cards because they didn't matter. Yeah. Because he was getting the story across visually. Right. Um, and he does a lot of really interesting visual things here. Um, I love the, we see the killer upstairs pacing because through a uh, transparent ceiling. Yeah, everybody looks up. There's a glass ceiling, which isn't real. It's just a visual to show us yeah. what's happening. We see it's the not an actual glass ceiling, rocking. but yeah. we see through the floor to the the lodger pacing back and forth as they're listening to it, and they're uh, yep. and then and they and we are affected by it. And I don't think there'd been anything like that in a movie up until right. that point. And we have another uh, uh, situation where the, the detective is, is staring down at the footprint and in it, we see little, little bits of information and then we cut to him. And what, what we understand from the way that's edited together is that this is what he's thinking and he is putting some things together and coming to a conclusion. And uh, it's interesting the way he visually gets across what this character is thinking without him having to say, you know, I wonder. <laughs> right. And giving us the title card. Yeah, no, totally. The right, that sort of illusionary stuff. And yep. it's another one of it's like Hitchcock's sort of impossible architecture, you know, where the the footprint of the house doesn't really make sense and that right. nothing really fits together right. Like that's Part of it is he's not really concerned with that. He's kind of only concerned with a shot, one shot at a time. But part of it is he enjoys, a he enjoys. I think, and I can't read his mind, but he, I think, he clearly enjoys people being bothered. No, first of all, noticing, and then either being upset with it or being at peace with it. Either way, he enjoys the reaction to it, and I think he enjoys the disorientation that it's it, either consciously or subconsciously creates in the viewer there's yeah. a super famous staircase shot in this and of course i you know i know enough about hitch to know that the staircases you know the staircases throughout the canon is yeah you know they're obviously they're crucial visual things um this is a combo staircase prison bar motif that we have and it's also just this incredibly composed shot from up outside the staircase through the through the rail the handrail yep. to the That's... stairs and then to a person at the bottom of the stairs who appears briefly hits his mark and then moves on but it's it's balletic and really cool and that's the thing when they talk about Hitchcock's visual style and how you know how his films are full of that it's kind of funny because out of all these movies and they're all really great looking no doubt it's for especially for films of the era but they're just visually really compelling this was the one that is just loaded with tricks and yeah. gimmicks and fun and that was great because this is the one i most needed to sort of really keep my attention it was one it was the sure. longest one it was silent which i get really impatient with just as a viewer, uh, I don't mind black and white. I never have, but but and I don't mind visual storytelling. Like I don't mind when people shut up and you experience a story, or if the story is about like a tiger or something and it never talks to me. Like I can deal with that. I I have trouble with that. People are talking. People are sharing lunch together. Whatever they're doing, and they're just we're not hearing them, and we're having to interject you know the meaning of stuff i always find that frustrating but sure. the relationships here are interesting too rob we've got to talk about 
what essentially ends up being a love triangle. Uh, you've got the daughter of the uh, the folks who run this boarding house. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, a police detective who's just been assigned to the very exciting. Uh, what do they call the guy? The the Avenger. The right? Avenger. Yeah, the yeah. Avenger. Jeez, what a dumb name. But anyway, it's it's basically inspired by the Ripper murders, yeah. more or less. Yep. He's not killing um, prostitutes necessarily, but he is killing all blondes, right? Yes. And, yeah, there there's a couple that of things. That figures, by the way. Uh, Hitchcock <laughs> has a couple of obsessions or a couple of themes that he com- comes back to. One is the wrong man. And I think that comes from he... Uh, when he was a young boy, his father sent him to the police station with a note. Uh, and the poli- he gave the note to the policeman and they brought him in and locked him in a cell for five minutes. Then when they came back in five minutes, let him out and said, that's what we do to naughty boys. Jesus. And from that time on, he is terrified by the police. He, and I think that's where that wrong man, you know, he knows he's never going to do anything wrong because he's terrified of police. He didn't drive because he was afraid of getting a parking ticket. Um, and I can Thanks, relate. Dad. Like one of a my lifetime of fears, psychosis. One of my biggest fears is is being arrested for something I didn't do and going to prison. It's just like it just terrifies me. Mm-hmm. I don't jaywalk for that very reason. I don't. I don't like uh, to be confronted with the police um i've been arrested a couple times for things i actually did so you you get over that pretty quick over it well um maybe not that is is my dad never taught me that very important Uh, lesson when i was a kid by (laughs) sending me down to the local precinct with a note telling them to lock me up in the jail cell so i turned out to be a bit of a dick so so (laughs) i mean that that is a theme that is going to come up over and over and over again as we, assuming that we continue with, with shows moving throughout his career. We'll um, see, we'll see what see kind of fan mail we over. get over this show. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is he, he has a big obsession with blondes. Yeah, clearly. Um, and so it's, it's interesting and telling so early in his career that Golden Curls uh, that's what this, uh, the Avenger goes after, uh, women with golden hair so blondes basically um so it's telling that even then we have this uh, but the cop one, in this the his her suitor and the guy who's just been assigned to the case he's about as nice a guy as there yeah, is right yeah but he does make a mistake and he does arrest the wrong man he does yep but come on i mean the evidence leads right to the guy basically what can you do plus the guy's super suspicious if he didn't want to be considered the wrong man why is he walking around with a cover over his face and acting so creepy all the time yeah yeah and and hiding a concealed weapon which is a really unusual thing to be walking around with especially at this period in england and all the other creepy ass things that he does in the movie i think um i mean basically this is an adaptation of a novel and in the novel, the lodger is the killer. Um, and, of course, the studio wouldn't let Ivor Novella be, be, a, be, be the a, killer. So that had to be changed. In a way, I um, think that's a, a case of studio interference making yeah. the movie more interesting, actually. Because right. they didn't say, you need to do this and you need to do that. They just said, you can have Ivor, but he can't be a guy who's going around murdering blondes. He's a big star right. for us. Yep. Uh, do something different. And, 
Yeah, and Hitch had the same problem later in Hollywood. Uh, he wanted Cary Grant to be turn out to be the bad guy in Suspicion, and uh, was not allowed to do that. Right, um, right. So wasn't allowed to shoot the ending of the original novel of his Oscar-winning Rebecca either, because right. Because it's too, I don't know what, it's too complicated, I guess, for them to ha be able to handle. They need crime, punishment. Crime, right. Punishment. And there can't mm -hmm. be any sympathy or, or yeah. gradation between the two things, which, is, right. which sucks. But here he sort of has his cake and eat, eat it too, because I, without totally spoiling it, um, while we've definitely spoiled that novella is not the killer, but that's hard to talk about this movie in any yeah. sort of depth without doing that. But we never engage with or come to witness or really see the actual killer as a character. Right. And by leaving him out and just dealing with him forensically, you, you really do have your, your, you're forced to take that, those crimes for granted as what they are. And you're forced to deal with this. I think it's basically a, primarily a trio and not so much what then what their crimes are, but what their sins against each other are yeah. when they lose faith or when they lose trust in each other. When, um, like you say, when the, when the cop goes, I think he does more than that because I think it's reasonable for him to suspect our, our hero and you know what i mean i yeah. think that's not a crime he commits against the story so much as he no. he just doesn't deal honestly or respectfully with the girl where lodger may you know norvello's character may be slow to reveal himself but he does deal with her honestly emotionally with emotional honesty and with actual truthfulness and i think that's that's why she falls for him and moves away right. from the her better, more convenient, and more compatible match that the movie sets up for her early on. Yep. And quick, real quick, early on before, and then we should move on to the next film, I think. Um, Alma Ravel, who is uh, Mrs. Hitchcock, his wife, they met uh, making films. Um, she's credited with on this film as assistant director, and basically that is a role that she had for the rest of their lives yeah credited Frequently or not, uncredited yeah. yeah uh but nothing nothing got made without alma's approval yeah and uh, her her mm -hmm. once over and her asking yes. him the big questions that he had to answer before he would spend however much time of his life you yeah. know combating some particular thing right. i know that from watching the, all the movies that are about him about him yeah sure. not right. so much yep. the <laughs> not so much the movies of his himself but Yep. Yeah. Hitch was um, big into developing the scripts. This came much later where he got a little more intense about that. Uh, but all of that, he said he went to a very strict Jesuit school uh, growing up. His parents were Roman Catholic. thus the, the guilt and all those things being deeply embedded in his persona. And he said uh, that the Jesuits taught him three things, organization, control, and analysis. And you can see all of those throughout his career as just keystones of, of his style, his work, his way of working. Well, and just visually stunning. The use of the mirrors, the way he 
puts the camera in impossible places. Typically, I don't like that, but in this film, it really made the thing feel fresh. It's only the fourth silent movie I've ever seen. Sixth, if you count The Artist and Blank Vievs, which I don't really count since they were silent movies of the modern era that right. comment on silent movies. Um and it was it, it was a fun it was a fun time at the movies like it was it was exciting and fun even though the 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 broad the really broad theatrical acting styles do do great they just at, at a two hour time period even in the best of these you know I've always just gotten sick of that and but I really really liked the visual style here it was just dynamite I the weird stuff with the art in the room and. You know, it's just packed with all this interesting metaphorical stuff that you can, that you you aren't allowed to think about for very long before you kind of are on to the next thing. Right. But, you know, I liked that it had all that in it, that it's, it wasn't just a plot-driven film, even though it was. Primarily, it still had all this ancillary things that I'm still sort of thinking about and dealing with that made it fun yeah. So, and um, uh, the tinting was really, really well thought out. Yeah. That's yeah, a side yeah. thing. We won't talk about a lot of silent films, but this is a film that's, for a silent film, it's actually rather colorful. It's not, or black, it, you know, it's not black and white. It's like a lot of silent films of the era. It's got these, the, the scenes are like tinted in these colors. They're amber, or they're pink, or they're blue or purple. Um, but they, uh, that's always been like, oh, it's, blue because night or whatever like it's just sort of obvious his it's much more subtle here it, obviously yeah. whoever did it whether it was hitchcock or somebody else it's hard to know for sure who was in charge of that process or who made those decisions it's natural and it serves the film in a way because i'd yeah. almost almost always rather just be like oh, just just black and white you know we don't need the tints or whatever like in right. uh Phantom of the Opera is the one I'm thinking of where even though Phantom of the Opera is great, it, it, those tinted scenes are just like, <sighs> yeah, it's like a, painted, like a thing. It's like you, know. you it's like a thing you have to get past to enjoy right. the movie. And in this, they did it exactly as much, but just much, much better. Yeah. I thought, well, this is near the end of the silent period. So, so they're getting good at um, it, basically. Yeah, right? yeah. Exactly. I mean, uh, so yeah, Ivor Novello uh, reprised his role for a sound adaptation of this movie um, a few years later in 1932 called The Phantom Fiend. Um, and Hitchcock was asked to direct it, but he declined. Uh, instead, uh, Morris L.V. directed. Um, so and there's uh, a Merle yeah. Oberon version of the same story, right? Yep. In yep. the 40s, sometime. Mm. Yeah, and mm -hmm. in that one, he actually, I if I recall correctly, I have that's seen more faithful it. to the book without yeah, spoiling it. He is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and to quick put a bow on this, uh, going back to the beginning of the discussion, um, talking about uh, how a producer came in and 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 said. Uh, you know, we got to got to trim this movie up and, and everything, getting rid of all those title cars. It was a critic named Ivor Montague nice. uh, that came in and did that. And, and to me, the big takeaway is, is for some reason in this period of time in England, there were two guys named Ivor. Yeah. So um, that I, Ivor that, Powell, it was the associate producer, Alien and Blade Runner. We didn't mention him in our last two week shows, but mm -hmm. everybody loves Ivor. It just shows you. God, that's a name that's got to make a comeback, don't you think? Yeah, I'm all for um, it. All right. 
Let's move on yep. to uh, Actually, the man. We'll yeah. have one in between. Uh, we, we need to mention Blackmail from 1929. Mm. It's the first British sound film. And, and it was by directed by... Yeah. Yep. And, and it's it considered actually, pretty good, but not good enough to make our big six for this period. Right. It, it began production as a silent film. Um, and then the studio decided they wanted to you know, use sound. And their idea was to do the final two reels in sound which Hitchcock thought was ludicrous. Yeah. So he sort of secretly refilmed a lot of the film <laughs> in, the, with yeah. sound. Um, and slide. so the film was released in both a silent and a sound version. Um, I have them on Blu-ray. And uh, a few years ago, uh, the British Film Institute uh, instigated a... Uh, Save the Hitchcock Nine, which is his silent films are extant. Um, and they restored, did a beautiful restoration of the silent version of Blackmail, but nobody's done a very good restoration on the sound version. So I did rewatch the sound version in, uh, in preparation for this, just so that we could talk about it very briefly. And, you know, the silent version looks beautiful the the sound one it's just like i mean it's not terrible but no it but it doesn't it look shows you one thing it had been planned out and mapped out and the other thing while adequate was done on the fly and of course it's right. not going to be as as lyrical yeah. as yeah makes yeah, sense sure. uh but th there are a couple great things in, in that film um and one is an important thing it's it's the first time that hitch uses uh a landmark as a setting in this mm. film. And in this case, it's the British Museum. There's a chase at the end through the British Museum. And that is, is uh, a thing that we're going to see come up over and over again with Hitchcock's films, um, all the way to, you know, North by Northwest, where we're on Mount Rushmore. Um, he's going to utilize that, that idea of taking this place that you think of as safe, secure, you do not associate with a danger or or anything like that and 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 putting those things in there um so really that's all there's to say about blackmail it's fine but it's i think all of the other films on here are entertaining to some extent as well as as showing the progression of of hitchcock and his style um and blackmail is, is important because of the uh, because it's the first sound British film. Uh, and it does have some neat, neat things in it, but you know, it's not necessarily worth you guys taking the time to try. And... Well, and it's neither here nor there. That's the tragedy of it. It, yeah. it, 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 two films, you know, and neither one is exactly what it, what it could have been at its best. Right. That's mm -hmm. typically what happens when you, when, when the, things diverge like that you you don't and neither one of them there first of all you put them in competition with each other the only way right. to talk about a movie like blackmail now is which one do you prefer and why because there's two right. versions with one version you just deal with it on its own terms every time it, a, a fork in the road comes for a movie like that it 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 just creates a debate and that comes first every time and that's yeah. kind of a shame too so joel yeah, the man too much. Um, 
Let's get the some. Uh, you know, you say that again. The, hey, I bit my tongue. I'm working on it. The man <laughs> who knew too much. Uh, I was excited, and also I was very excited to um, to usher in the uh, the Nova Pillbeam uh, uh, section of our discussion. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm a big Nova so, Pillbeam fan now. Um, so, an ordinary British couple vacationing in Switzerland suddenly find themselves embroiled in a case of international intrigue when their daughter is kip- kidnapped by spies plotting a political assassination. Yeah, there and, you go. And this was a much-needed success for, for Hitchcock. The Lodger had been a huge success. Um, and then he, he really sort of had a bit of a slump in there um he wasn't aware of that uh but <laughs> critics and studio heads were and this one sort of really got him back on top um this and then his ne- his this was a success and then the next one is the 39 steps i believe and that was a huge hit not just in great britain but in the u.s as well um, man who knew too much usually when you drop that name first of all that's a sort of loaded name that has several variations throughout the movies that have been toyed around with um secondly this isn't even the most famous version of the man who knew too much by alfred hitchcock it's the earliest version but there's another one which we don't have to get into but that comes later with this exact same title it's all somewhat parallel premise but really not the same movie at all and uh, other than that idea (laughs) the man who knew too much the guy who's who's stuck with this information and is is painted into a corner in a way that they can't really share it and yet still have a very driving need within them to solve what their own dilemma is in the story and that's fun those early scenes uh when we see them but it's not him, which is interesting. It's his wife, who's part of a what is it a, a clay Ski pigeon shooting, co- shooting yeah. competition, skeet Ski shooting. shooting, yeah. And she ends up losing to this guy, and everybody has champagne and stuff. It's very weird. There's this weird part where somebody skis down, like almost into the crowd or whatever. Um, and then the high society folks are all at a dinner that night, which is dancing and like a pig with its full face in it that they're eating and all that stuff that you see that like, I don't experience very much in actual life, but, but it's, it's fun. And that scene is really fun. Like the, the dad and the daughter playing tricks and stuff. There's a scene where somebody wearing a sweater or what are they wearing where they take their little string. It's the knitting that her mother has been working on. He takes the string. Oh, and he ties the knitting to the thing. Yeah. And so that then he's moving around throughout this ballroom or whatever, yeah. and everybody's getting tangled in this yarn. Yeah. Well, and what that early section does, uh, all those things you're mentioning, is it establishes this really close and really charming relationship between the dad, the mom, and the child. That they are a close-knit group, that yeah. they joke around together, um, and thus it's going to make the, the situation that comes up all the more uh, heartbreaking. Right, you feel, again, you feel the filmmaker commenting on what yeah. he thinks is sort of an, an ideal yep. family unit. These, the, All three of them are very smart. The daughter is 
plucky and annoying as far as kids go, but she also asks interesting questions and is engaged with what's going on around her. Like, there's just a lot to like about this group. And every little thing here that they do, like this real economy of storytelling, at least thematically in the early scenes, it's not just... You're right. Plan A is introduce the family, like them because they're about to be plunged into this thing. But plan B is set up everything that we're going to see later. Either, yes. either what uh, people's skills are. Uh, yes, exactly. What what yeah. you know? Even the yarn in the room is a really interesting metaphor for how tangled up these people's lives get in this international intrigue. Yeah. The gentleman that the wife is dancing with who's a government agent of some kind gets shot while he's dan while he's on the dance floor. What did you think of that? How I love no, I, I love it. I loved it. I, I don't know who couldn't and, love oh, it. It's look. and it's <laughs> not just this. If it were just that, but it, it's it's this thing where this happens again and again throughout the movie. This stiff upper lip Britishness that they approach everything with. I always find that. I mean, I don't find it like, yes, that is very admirable that he died, you know, not screaming, but wondering, hmm, what is this? You know, yeah. it's more, it's absurd how yeah. they react to that. You know, in it Bridge and the River Kwai. Coen Brothers feel to it. What? It almost has a Coen, Coen Brothers yeah, feel to it. It does, but it's very, very British way to go out. You know, yeah. well, a few weeks ago we watched uh, Night Train to Munich, and the main character in that it, it personifies this, and we see it later. Like I said, in, in uh, Bridge on the River Kwai, we see it stiff British upper lipism by this British commander played by Alec Guinness in that film, taken to so far an extreme that he actually does damage to everything, to his cause. You know, and it, it, and and yet there's real precedent for that attitude you know what yeah. i mean like it's it's not a it's it's a thing we can make fun of or it's a thing we can amplify obviously in in films but it's a thing that's very real it's the it's the yeah. cliche that's born out of a sort of truth about a certain part of you know the of the englishmen and englishwomen of that era and even there's still plenty of it today actually yeah and here it's used to just to, to, to create charm. Yeah. And this doesn't and have to be a horror thing, it, you know? Yes. Yeah. And he, yep. but, but if it were just him being a wuss and not wanting to have a horrible assassination moment, I wouldn't like it. It, there's more meaning in it. The way he reacts to it is classic, classic yeah. British special agent. Oh, hmm. what's, what does he say? What's this? Mm -hmm. He says, uh, I wrote it down here cause I just loved it. Oh, look, <laughs> as blood yeah. starts, starts kind of spread on, and he kind of just slowly collapses down yep. the floor, and then poof, he's gone. Yep. Um, and then people start to panic a little bit. So the 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 react the big reaction to somebody getting killed in front of your eyes does happen, but it just it's mostly what. And you know, sometimes stuff is like that. It's what is yep. happening. You don't even know. Yeah. And the sequence that follows, which we can't spend too much time on, because we really got to right. get back home and get into the plot proper. But the whole the way the diplomats that are there, the way the investigation kicks off, the way um, the, uh, we guess we can talk about how our 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 the matri or the patriarch of this family gets involved in this. He's 
or she's handed something by him. How's that work? She's uh, he's given a message. He gives her a message, which she gives to her husband to go get the brush that's in her room and get it to the British uh, consulate. I a think. brush, for, a shaving brush, a shaving brush. Yep. Yeah. So he goes and gets that information. Um, the bad guys realize he beats he them to this. it, and then yeah. they and then but but they kind of catch him in the act and even though they can't yep. do anything about it in the moment they go ahead and kidnap his daughter as a way yep. to control him throughout the rest of the film yep and then they're warned not to say anything played by and nova so pillbeam joel yeah the daughter yep. and, and the husband is what's his name again gosh uh leslie banks who was the mm-hmm. secret mole in the day went well or yep. went the day well yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which we just seen yeah and it made me think of like, oh yeah, he's in another film I'd seen. I looked him up. He's in, in one called uh, Cottage to Let with Alistair Sim. Then I looked through his filmography. I have eight films he's in, and he's not really a guy you recognize, is he? I know his name, Leslie Banks. I mean, he's yeah. got a pretty long storied career. But yeah, I'm not into films of this era, so I'm not surprised to hear that you have eight of his movies, though, because he's was. not he's not nobody. <laughs> and and the the next big scene, there's a bunch. We have a bunch of stuff with the bad guys who are pretty yeah. fun in this film. Um, but the next big scene to me is the scene where again where they come into that meeting with the champagne and the. And they're basically it's an interrogation, but it's this super polite English interrogation. It's hard to even explain what it is. Yeah, because it's all politeness and propriety first, and trying to get the information second. And it ends with this. With it, I mean, it it's so polite. It's again, it's absurd. I lo- that's what I loved about this movie is the way they tiptoe around each other. They don't want to just come right out and ask him what's happening. So they just slowly build up to this question. And finally, the question comes at the end. Uh, is it possible, you know, that your daughter has been kidnapped? And this, there's this stinger in the music that Joel would love. And there's this where he does this huge take. Because simply to be asked the thing that the entire scene is about is like so out of character for these right. upper class people. <laughs> it's like almost undignified that they're asking him what they need to know from him. But if it's the scene demonstrates that if they don't come right out and ask him, he's never going to answer anything for them. And we don't even see how it ends. Hitchcock doesn't even need to show us how he responds to that. We assume he keeps it to himself still. Because yep. that's kind of how the movie plays out. But it's funny that they ask him the big question and the answer isn't important. What's important is that their good manners are getting in the way of anything being done about this. Yeah. And his fear for his daughter's sake, which is understandable, is he's just not going to cooperate with them. So you have this two groups of people trying to achieve the same thing. It, the groups change a little bit throughout the movie, but I think it's funny that it's two groups trying to achieve the same thing that aren't working together at all and keep bumping into each other constantly throughout the film. Like that's, that's super entertaining. And of course the other, it's sort of burying the lead, but uh, um, what's his face? Uh, Who's the actor? The bad guy. Uh, Peter Lorre. Yeah. Peter Lorre. Cause he's so great. And he's really great in this for a guy who at this point in his career, barely speaks English. He's so, you know, he's creepy and weird. He's all those things that Peter Laurie is. Peter Laurie's something of a cartoon character on screen, but he isn't though because he's so chill and natural in his movements yeah. and in his, you know, he's always been thus. And that's why I find him so compelling. I don't I might 
not like him if he weren't that way. And he's so fun and ca casual, a bad guy in this. Yeah. You he's know. got this underlying charm and coolness about him that is, is sort of the template that Hitch is going to use later for like James Mason's character in North by Northwest. Yeah, yeah. The sophisticated villain. There's a scene where he comes in, he walks into the room and somebody's holding a gun and he walks up next to him and he kind of looks, and this is good, this is like demo reel stuff for Laurie. He goes, sorry for those in Radio Land, but I'm going to have to act this out. But he does the whole, you know, like that, like he yeah. puts his hands up or whatever. It's hard to explain how kind of, what a, just a perfect little silent exchange that it is, but yeah. it just it sums up this guy perfectly in one little silent thing. And by the end of the movie, when everybody's shooting at each other, and he's just sort of he's shooting, he's in a gunfight, he wants to win, but he's also super chill about it and not really panicking. And it, it just makes for a really odd experience that's that puts you off. It, it you know, if he were. Yeah whatever if he were scarface at the end and he was going crazy you know we'd be like yes that's what <laughs> the guys do but he he just isn't he's he's kind of like the guns going off next to him and again he kind of looks at the wall like huh well that almost hit me but it's not it's all wordless and and chill and yeah. fun is there anything before the big ending because we got a bunch more to get through that you, you want to talk there's... about there's, uh, again, we have a scene set in a landmark, uh, the Royal Albert Hall. Oh, yeah, uh, that's this one. Where an assassination attempt is going to take place. And there's a really effective uh, visual trick that Hitch does. Uh, the, the mother is there. She knows something's going to happen, but she doesn't know what. She's been warned to get there. Mm -hmm. And she's looking around, and she's trying to figure out what it is. And you can tell that her anxiety and her panic is just rearing up and she's she's watching the conductor and sh her her focus just sort of goes in and out and then it goes becomes completely blurry and then it melds into almost seamlessly this shot of up in one of the boxes at the theater a gun coming into frame because mm -hmm. that's where the assassination is coming from it's just a i i i noticed that and i was like that's a that was really effective it it felt seamless i did not see the cut Right. And I'm sure if I went back and paused it, I'd Or I'd whatever, see. you'd find what it in there. But that's yeah. not necessary. It's, a, it's compelling. You're not yeah. looking for the cut because you're so into what's happening. Exactly. And Royal Albert Hall is, you know, it gives a real sense of scale to this thing. Because the yep. Switzerland stuff or wherever the movie starts is really does feel like fake snow on a soundstage. Yes. And, yep. you know, so you're it's very theatrical. All yep. the car rides are process yeah. and just completely yeah. fake and artificial and when yeah. you walk into royal albert hall I mean, it's a one-of-a-kind place and it really it just gives huge scale there's also a great yeah. scene where there's a weird bit of mistaken identity happening with these two guys i don't remember the context but they're like up on a railing looking down on something that's taking place and they're trying to be quiet and they're it's like they're adding to the sound to the sound like music Lee or something. I can't remember the deal. Do you remember the scene I'm talking about? No. Is it even this movie? I watched it all six of these in a row. Sure. <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's 39 steps that happens in. Anyway, big shootout at the end. It's a real big, yep. like a gangster movie shootout is what I would compare it to. What about that fight in the church, though? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That. Before the fight. Before the yeah, fight. Before the gunfight, when yeah. they're He's throwing the chairs. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was really 
Yeah, that was really super well fun. done. I thought that was super fun, and the the whole rooftop set and the yes. the chase with the you know the our chill lead bad guy is sort of hanging out shooting people. Um, our kind of evil, definitely more twisted psycho bad guy sidekick chases the daughter out up through the roof and up out onto the ledge. You know, and this yep. it's not cl- a cliffhanger technically, but it's this very it's genuinely frightening like scene yes. and the yep. cops when they see them together out there are like, they're scared to do anything about it. But it just so happens that the expert mom skeet shooter is standing next to one of the riflemen and she takes the rifle from him and shoots the bad guy off the roof. Yep. And they are happy family without, without ruining the whole movie, which we did, but it, the happy family's reunited <laughs> at the end. I really think that this movie's plot and its reveals are not special. It really is yeah. the how do we get from thing to thing that was neat about it. Um, yeah. The title is fun. The, the, the the super almost gooey happy ending is like this is over the top. Yeah. Um, I wish there was more made of her taking the rifle. It felt like Hitchcock was knew that we would question whether that could happen. Yeah, and so just wanted don't to give get you time to think about it. Wanted to do it, but wanted to get it over really fast. And I think yeah. he's not giving us enough credit. Um, I think is this the one that Guillermo del Toro does the essay, the video essay about? Yeah, he, I, he, I think he probably did. I, I watched it streaming because you had my disc. Uh, but, right, I had the discs. But, Woo. Uh, uh, Guillermo basically says everybody wants her to take that gun and shoot the bad guy. And because, uh, uh, you know, so he makes excuses for it, but it, it doesn't need excuses. He's right. Everybody wants that to happen, so he should have made a big deal out of it. It should have yeah. been more of a natural thing. The guy shouldn't really wanted to give up the gun. You know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. it, there should have been more. It could have been a lot more to it, and it would have been a lot more exciting. Yep. But it's still fun watching the mom of all people, because it's the mom and not the dad that's the skeet yep. shooting expert. And I yep. like that. That I like that she's given that very, very important task that she is uniquely prepared for. Yep. At the end of the movie, I think that's very cool. Yep. Agreed. Okay. Let's move on. Yeah, let's move on to uh, some, some some more steps. We've been talking staircases. Let's uh, let's move on to the thirty nine steps. A man in London tries to help a counter espionage agent, but when the agent is killed and the man stands accused, he must go on the run to save himself and stop a spy ring that is trying to steal top secret information. Yeah, so, okay, so this is based on a, a famous novel at the time by John Buchan. Um, and this, so Ryan alluded to the fact that Hitchcock remade The Man Who Knew Too Much in the 50s with Jimmy Stewart later. Um, and it's the more well-known film. Uh, that was the only official remake he ever made. Um, the 39 Steps he sort of unofficially remade in America as Saboteur. Um, and you'll see a lot of similarities with it. It's, it's basically very similar plot or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, the 39 Steps also has a remake uh, in the late 70s, early 80s. Oh, yeah. Warner's in it, Robert Paul's in it. And I, it's, a, it's, a, it's a film I love. And I saw early on mm-hmm. on cable at the time and i hope 
I hope this show is a success and we continue doing Hitchcock's because I think there's a really fun show to do with remakes, sequels of Hitchcock films. Yeah, and definitely um, ripoffs. Of you hear that, yeah. listener? You hear that, listener? It's all on you. Doing uh, uh, tell your doing friends. The Thirty Nine Steps uh, remake. The Lady Vanishes also had a remake around that time with Sybil Shepherd and Elliot Gould. Um, and and two I of the most emotionally available actors avail- that you could get in <laughs> yeah. those days. I uh, I haven't seen it in years, but I own it, and I I'll rewatch it when the time comes if if we go there. Um, but I remember liking it at the time, so. 39 um, okay, steps so the 39 steps this um, one was tough for me although there were things okay. i really really liked in it i really there, it has a big train sequence everything about that was awesome there were some things i, I liked but I, it it started with this I, what do you call it like a cabaret act or a whatever a the, musical yeah yep, the musical mr memory stuff and yep. if it had only been at the beginning of the movie but unfortunately it's a really important part of all of it I just thought it was so stupid and I had a really, really tough time getting over it. But it's just a, whatever. It's just a launching pad for another man on the run story. Yes. Uh, which is pretty diverting. Um, I really, really liked his use of the, the, what's it called? The fourth bridge. The bridge between fifth and fourth, I think it's called. It's this big iron with these round um, things so that when the, the train stops on this bridge so that nobody yeah. can escape it. Our hero manages to escape anyway. And it's not shot with North by Northwest like ingenuity or anything. I don't want to oversell it. But he just, again, he takes this thing. It's not a, it's not the Statue of Liberty by any means. But it's this very interesting architectural thing that exists in real life. It was a, a, would have been an extremely modern thing at the time. I believe right. when this was made, it would have been a pretty new bridge with really new style architecture, the arches in particular, um, and just gets our guy hanging from the beams out on the tracks. And I love that part of it. I loved some of the countryside scenes. Although again, I thought the, I don't know. I don't mean to diss on 39 steps. It was good as the rest of these, but I didn't like the interaction between the country woman and her uh, abusive husband. Like I thought that was all Mm -hmm. really, grossly caricature to what those types of people would be. Um, it, it is very episodic in yeah. nature in that he, he, he's, he checks in with various groups right. uh, and has a little adventure along the way, sort of. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, when you're talking about that train scene, um, I'm wondering if you noticed, because I was really, uh, this last time watching it, I was really struck by how effective it was. There's a scene where he changes cars during while the train's moving on the mm-hmm. outside, and I thought the special effects used in that were were just almost seamless. Like you know, there's rear projection going on, and you know it's with a, a regular car there, yep. but it you know it's going around a curve at the time. And well, and it's. It's pro. It is process, but it's not. You're looking out the back window of a car, and right. the picture is only changing slightly as you drive on. This is stuff whipping by and stuff, and it yep. it's exciting. It's it, there's tons of movement to it. It's blurry. You can't make out the details, so you don't obsess about it. Your eyes stay with 
with the main character as he's moving yep. around. I yes, I remember that. That's and a really I just liked shot. everything about the stuff yeah. on the train. I there, love the stuff an, in the train station too. There's another technical shot that I thought was really good. Uh, they start inside the car, and you can tell it's rear projection. And then the camera kind of moves around around to the back of the car, and mm. then the car moves forward. Dri- go and drives we're no away. Longer, yeah, 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 yeah. We're no longer in uh, a process or in the studio. Yeah. We're on location, and that that transition, I didn't. You couldn't see where it happened. No, it's back neat, really but it 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 calls attention to the artificiality of the thing, which is what I don't like about it. Uh, um, but it is really neat. Like it's really amazing you can tell it's like something he wanted to do oh yeah. you all think we're on a soundstage we'll take a look at this you know where, where they're not on a soundstage but they're still in a back lot in a controlled environment of some kind i don't know exactly how he does it which is magic but he's right. still pointing out he's still pointing out the the artificiality of car scenes of which these films all have a ton of and you know it's not like they fixed this exactly i'm watching films from the 80s and stuff and the process yeah. all looks ridiculous. It always looks ridiculous. It never right. looks real. It 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 even really good process feels wrong. And so I don't know. So his I guess he's allowed. It's Hitchcock. He can right. He's I, he. You can feel his frustration of having to do these scenes this way. So his liberating himself from it is yes. a fun thing. He's but it's playing. a thing that has nothing to do with the story, really. Right. Right. <laughs> But he's playing. He's keeping himself yeah. occupied. <laughs> right. That's, you know? that's fine. Like, that's good. Let's do something fun here <laughs> uh-huh. and see how well we can do it. And he, right. I think that one, he pulls it off like gangbusters. Yeah, well. no no doubt. That's fun. That's a fun little bit. And So uh, The 39 Steps is also like the first film where we, we have a really like concrete example of the MacGuffin, yeah. uh, which is The 39 Steps. It's the thing everybody's trying to get and figure out what it is it doesn't matter right but, i mean we at least in the case of this film we do find out the meaning behind it all right. but even then it doesn't matter it, it's it the finding matter. out that's important not not finding out the details that are important yes and yeah. that's never uh, this might be the movie maybe mission impossible 3 with the rabbit's foot might be the most MacGuffin-y movie still but this <laughs> this is either two or three on the list because it just it absolutely makes no difference, and the the again the weird convoluted Mister Memory way we have to get there, without just spoiling the details. I don't see the right. point in doing that. I just feel like, I I feel like it the movie that's the where the movie fails. I it, a MacGuffin is fun, but if if the whole ending is the reveal of the thing and you don't really care about it. Except that well, it happens, then that's drawn out, overly complicated and showy and stupid way that they do it is annoying to me. I will but say. the the real ending of the film is him being cleared. True, because true. once again, he's a man being hunted who true. didn't do anything. Yeah. Um, I wish, so. and the woman in this is this the one? Yeah, this is the one where the woman just keeps. She doesn't fall for him at all. She just keeps betraying yeah. him, keeps turning him in. Yep. Every that's fun. That's different, and it's yep. fun. She absolutely she hears him, and she even believes him. But she still a, a she still behaves the way an appropriate English woman would in her day, which is respecting authority. And none of this is my problem. You have to right. deal with this. Like 
she refuses at every step to go on the adventure with him on his terms. She does yep. keep getting drawn into it, but it it that was really really neat part of Thirty Nine Steps. I've never seen it done quite like that, and that was yeah. cool. And I I love the the location where she she changes and comes on board. Yeah, that whole there you know they they get a room posing as newlyweds. Of course, they're they're handcuffed together, together, right? Yep. Yeah. And, and that's something too that I, I meant to mention back with uh, the lodger is is people getting handcuffed is, is sort of a an a early thing. motif. It happens a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the the innkeepers of this place, I just I just loved them. Yeah, they were fun. Just sweet. Yeah. And you know, just gives you that small British, in this case Scottish, uh, because yeah. they're running around the Scottish Highlands. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But, but you get the feeling that Hitchcock knows people like this and that this yes. is the tribute to them. Exactly. exactly. It's all completely different than the farm couple, which is this sort of terrible thing. Yeah. It's not that terrible. It's but it's 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 that those people don't exist. They don't feel real. They're there to serve a plot related right. purpose and in a sort of nasty way. And these people are there to serve a plot purpose too, but they're they feel real, so they're worth spending time with, even though their utility in the story is very, very slight. Yeah. And I like that. I always, I'm always willing to spend time with cool characters yeah. and take a little bit of a sidetrack with them. I, I, I think that's fun. I think, And I think films, suspense films, these are all, other than Lodger, I guess, which is pretty, has a lot of weight put on it. And that's Sabotage, our next movie, actually, that one's, pretty very serious but yeah. uh but the rest of these all are very very light on their feet so yep. so um almost so that almost, stuff is great that stuff is what those are the details that make yeah. this stuff enjoyable almost the thriller mixed with almost a romantic comedy yeah uh right. really starts with the 39 steps but 39 yeah. steps is really really renowned and really worshipped and i actually think that the movie that follows the formula which we're not going to get to yet but we'll talk about it here is better in almost every way and we'll i'll make the case for that when we get there um all right well let's let's go into the more serious um the serious realm and go into sabotage Um, not saboteur but Sabotage. Not so sure. It also Sabotage starts with a with a very self-serving limited definition of the word sabotage. Yes. At the beginning. yes it does. <laughs> but again, isn't that interesting the way he's disseminating the information he wants you to know? Right. Uh, Except I I know I English words there. and I have a dictionary and he's like him he's not fooling me with that, so it sort of annoys me. I'm like, that's that's not not what sabotage <laughs> means, but that's not really what it means. That's very limited definition of it. And right. of course the film follows his limited definition of it. So it's still useful because it tells you this right. is what we're dealing with. We're not dealing with what it actually means really in the end. Right. We're not. So it's kind of weird to me. And then we get, uh, you know, example of pure cinema again, where we have the flash or the light bulb and it going out. And then we see the, the whole city going down or whatever. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and those, we haven't been talking about those, but those on. are in uh, several movies. The yes. the city yeah. lights, the billboards, the, 
You know what I mean? Those yeah. feature throughout this series, um, at least the ones that take place in cities. Sabotage is a very urban film. Yes. Um, and Lodger is, too. Uh, it, it, that, those were a fun welcome. Like, you can feel him getting better at filming that stuff, at what to show you, you know what I mean? Yep. I thought it was used very effectively in Lodger, but in Lodger it was repeated, showed it for too long. Like, they had yeah. all these sort of things where you're like, yes, 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 we know. And in this one, it was all much more suggestive, much more the little ideas get under your skin, yeah. like, much better handled and, and very fun visually, I agree. Joel, did we did we read the synopsis? No, no we have okay, not. Uh, the synopsis for a sabotage <laughs> is uh, a Scotland Yard undercover detective is on the trail of a saboteur who is part of a plot to set off a bomb in London. But when the detective's cover is blown, the plot begins to unravel. I really do think there's spoilers and sabotage. We probably shouldn't wreck. I know. Um, it's, because it's a very, very plot and not a character-dominated film. Not that the characters yeah. aren't cool, but it, this this really is twisty, turny surprises. And um, I think you just you have to say that sabotage in this case is it isn't sabotage. It's not uh, a train worker, you know, sabotaging a train and killing people because uh, he's upset about the train union rules. Yeah, this it's is a, a story act. about a terrorist trying to terrorize people. It's really as simple as that. It's it should be called terrorism and not sabotage. <laughs> right. But it sure. doesn't. It doesn't. It, it terrorism. It first of all is a much darker, uglier term, and it doesn't have the ring to it. I think that sabotage right. has. So. Bombings, man, and bombs going yeah. off on purpose and by accident and when they're intended and when they're not. Like, that's a, a really, really interesting thing. Lots, I, more than one ticking time bomb in this movie, right, Rob? Yeah. I'd, I'd like to uh, start this discussion with, and I think we're going to need to keep this discussion brief, uh, but Hitchcock had his theory of suspense, the bomb theory, yeah, which really briefly is... You have two people sitting at a table. They're playing cards. There's a bomb under the table. We know, the audience knows there's a bomb under the table. Yes. They don't. You hear them talking about the weather and all this stuff. And, and you, as the audience, get out of there. There's a bomb. It's going to go off. It's going to go off. Right, right. And you never let that bomb go off, of course. Right. Because that, that can't shock, be the payoff to the ticking suspense. time bomb sequence. Exactly. Yeah. In this film, there is a bomb that goes off and Hitchcock always regretted doing it because it doesn't play with that, that theory of suspense. It, it, it builds the suspense, but then you've got that shock and he didn't feel that was fair to the audience. There's, um, and I think that's about all we should say about bombs and yeah, but it's, it's stuff. at the same time while he it's effectively done. It is really effectively done, and it it's the first domino of a very fast-paced and extremely exciting, like, multiple-leveled cat-and-mouse ending to the film, and that's yes. what's great about the film, and I think, I don't know how you lift his breaking of his own rule out of this film and not have it, have it be effective anymore. I think that's tough. Um, so I feel like it almost has to be there. He, the very famous... 
I can't remember what they call it, the book interviews with Francois Truffaut, where he Yeah, just, Truffaut Hitchcock, yeah. Yep. It, part of that, they discussed this exact thing that we're talking about. And again, I, you've done a uh, elegant job of not spoiling it, so I won't either. Truffaut does when he yes. judges the sequence. He kind of comes out and says what he doesn't like about it. And Hitchcock, because he loves Truffaut, sort of sits there and agrees with him. But he also says, but yeah, but that's not really the reason I regret it. The reason I regret it is because it breaks this rule of mine that I feel pretty strongly about that if it's not that a bomb can't go off and it's not that a bomb can't, you know, kill a beloved character or whatever. It's that if you're going to do that, it should be a surprise. If you're going to build the suspense up, it really can't end with the obvious thing happening at the end or your you're wasting elements and you're not really playing fair with the audience. Yeah. And I thought it that the rule of the bomb, I mean, he, or, uh, we're not talking about it today, but you know, we all watched it. I believe the three of us in the same film class, we all watched the beginning of Rob. You've probably seen it since you were watching ancient movies when you were 11, but <laughs> the rest of us were getting exposed to some of this for the first time. But the opening, the long uninterrupted opening of rope is very famous. Oh yeah, bomb rule sequence. Maybe the maybe, not the most famous Hitchcock movie. Oh, maybe you're the most thinking famous. of uh, Touch of Evil. Oh, maybe. Yeah, the Orson. Oh yeah, Wells Touch film. of Evil, the Orson yeah. Welles. Yeah. Yep. Oh yeah, and we'll we'll we got to dig into Wells at some point because we'll man, see. That's a great. God, there's <laughs> Marvel. There's movies. MCU movies to watch too, Rob. Jesus. Right. Yeah. Um, that's true. And all the Transformer films. You gotta Correct. Get those in. <laughs> exactly. Those are still waiting for us. Um, Sabotage is interesting. It's my least favorite of these, but it was tight and perfect in a way that some of these aren't. I did appreciate, you know what I mean? If you're going to bring people down yeah. by terrorist bombings, it, I did appreciate that there weren't any cheesy, corny characters or weird little sidetracks. And you know what I mean? Like I, I don't, think that would have been like i don't think i would have liked that in a film i don't think i want the pressure taken off of me in a film that's about this sort of subject matter yeah. so so i i i get why he i get why this there's regrets in this film but i at the same time i'm like it kind of has to be the way it is yeah all right uh well let's move on then yep. so we don't accidentally spoil anything because really i've been missing nova pilbeam me too. Um, let's. I think say we go back, have a little get get another Nova Pillbeam fix in a movie called Young and Innocent. Or in America, it was called The Girl Was Young. Yeah. Yep. The more salacious, <laughs> less yeah. metaphorical title, The Girl Was Young. <laughs> Read the synopsis, and then I'll tell you why Young and Innocent is not just such a better title than The Girl Was Young, but why it's actually a great title. Uh, a man on the run from a murder charge enlists a beautiful stranger who must put herself at risk for his cause. Young and innocent. The the girl is the young and the guy is the innocent. And they come together over this crazy shared experience. And I believe, uh, we'll talk about the, the bit of the details, but I believe in a really natural, charming, and wonderful way. Uh, this movie, which I really don't, I mean... When I look into Hitchcock, and maybe I'm just wrong about this, 
But when I look into them, this movie's not really discussed much at all. Matter of fact, I think if yeah. if somebody other than Rob had picked six movies for us from this era, we would have gotten Murder, or we would have gotten The Secret Agent, or we would have gotten uh, what was the one you just talked about? The the anyway, uh, yeah. Rope. No, not Rope. That no, comes no. later. Uh, but yeah, the, I was going to say, but. No, we talked about it back. He did a whole sidetrack on it. I don't remember what it's called. Oh, uh, 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 blackmail. Yeah, blackmail. Yeah, Thanks. Yeah. Um, I just think this one would be left out, and I think it's a shame because this film, I, I this film's delightfully entertaining. Um, as a suspense film, okay, it's light. It's light yeah. entertainment, but um. And it starts out with one of the worst scenes in any of these six movies. So I really felt like, oh my God, now we're here we go. This is going to be <laughs> terrible. But it, <laughs> but I was completely, I guess I'm a big wuss. I was completely seduced by the romance in this. And the romance in the middle section of this film in no way prepared me for the innovative skill with which the end of the movie is shot and... Um, even though the end of the movie is, is sort of a, it's a cop out as far as storytelling goes, but I, to say why I think that, I guess I'd have to spoil it, but I mm-hmm. love Nova Pill being in this. I thought she was fantastic. And I thought that the wrongly accused gentleman on the run played by who, Joel? Uh, Derek DeMar- DeMarney? DeMarney? Yeah, it's something weird. It was great. I mean, I just, I just believed those guys completely, and I loved that. Even though the girl was young, that she, <laughs> that she's she's uh, she's not silly, you know. She really isn't. She, this situation and this guy get the best of her, but he's not even he's not like trying to trick her or trying to seduce her. He he plays it straight with her the whole time. It's something when you go all the way back to Lodger. The cop in Lodger is a very charming, sweet guy, the kind of guy you bring home to mom and dad, the kind of guy you should want to end up with. He is not honest with the heroine of that film. He is misleads her. He, he, uh-huh. he, without trying, he condescends to her by not including her in his thoughts and feelings. This dude is completely the opposite, and you get totally why they would come together as a crew and even why they need each other and... I, that's what I loved about it, but it's—I guess it—it it starts with a a non sequitur of a scene that becomes important. Yeah, and it um, starts with a body washing up on the beach, right? Am I remembering that right? That's well, really the it, inciting incident. It it starts before that. It starts uh, sort of in the middle of an argument between a husband and a wife. Yeah, but... and uh, you know, it, it, it's an example in that scene of of. Hitchcock doing it Hitchcock's way. This is a, you know, a standard scene. You've got a husband and wife arguing or whatever, and he could just shoot it as such and and write the dialogue as such. But there's a moment where, you know, his wife has obviously been running around and she wants a divorce and he won't give it to her. And she said, you know, he says, you're such a, and she goes, say it, say it. And there's a big thunderclap as he mouths something. Yeah, I, because I just can't say that was, out loud. I thought the scene was effing terrible. I really thought it was bad, and really thought the movie was going to suck. Um, Whoa. I get and then, it. Though. And then after that, you know, I was he, just let me just say I was so glad the movie wasn't about these two people. That's all I right. have to say. 
so and, relieved. And he goes out after the argument, and there's a close-up on his face, and he's doing this twitch thing. So he's got this nervous twitch that's yeah. that's established, and that, that would be important later in the film. And otherwise, we're done with these characters for quite a while till the end of the film. Right, right, right. Uh, but we'll learn that that's the the wife is the body that washes washes up, up on the beach. Um, they live am, they live in this very cool overlooking the ocean sort of yeah very Rebecca esque dare I say location. I was so glad to hear you say what you said at the at the top of this film mm. uh, because that's exactly how I feel. This is one of the most underrated Hitchcock films of all time. It's not his greatest film. It's not one of his greatest films, but it's the one nobody talks about, and there's no good reason for that. Yeah, because it's, it's as good as any of than these, some I of think. the films that we do talk about more regularly. Mm -hmm. um, and you're exactly right. You ask anybody else to pick out six films to talk about from the British period, Young and Innocent probably isn't on that list, and it should be, I think. I, I enjoy this film immensely, and I came to it rather late in life, because it wasn't available really anywhere. Um, right. not, it, not a classic, so it was one yeah. of the ones that rolled out slower. Exactly. Um, and boy, yeah, I, I think it's just, it's fantastic. And I agree, the leads, their relationship and the way it develops and grows. It, well, it, and the father and really the other works. cops. It's really yes. everybody, the townspeople in the pub. The, yep. it's, it's this... It's, it's it's neat. It's a living, breathing community. You know, yeah. that when they're pulling up and the, the guys with the sheep and everything, it's like yeah. all of it is, it's just hard to explain, but it, 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 you're, it, it doesn't feel like you're on a set anymore. It feels like you're in a barn. You're probably not. The barn probably is a set. But it, he does this really good job of putting us in this place. He does a, he's very clever, although perhaps not clever if you really think about it, of, trapping this dude on the run in this region because <laughs> you really should just be able to get out of dodge and you don't feel like that the local constable or the deputies or anything are really going to be able to chase after him very effectively um right. but he's got to prove his innocence right that's because again we have the innocent man yeah wrongly accused yep yeah, if it were me, I'd just be like, I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting out of here. They can think whatever they want, <laughs> but, uh, but, and of course, without knowing it, and this is another credit to it with this, because this, this relationship. I mean, we know who the leading woman is, and we know who the leading guy is. So, and we know there's a good chance to they're get together. It, 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 if not physically, probably in a film of this era, at least emotionally, they're going to be connected to one another. Yeah. But it just happens so naturally, and he really does end up with, when we meet him compared to when he actually manages, in, a, in the most exciting way, at least in this group of films, manages to prove his innocence. Um, it's fantastic. I loved yeah. the... I love the sneaking around in the barn scene. I loved all the low angle shots from that. I mean, I loved the, I love that that's a location we return to a couple of times. It's not just there for a stunt scene. Yeah. It's established and then we get it. I, the, the tracking shot through the, the theater where the symphony is playing is, is yes. yep. breathtaking. I mean, it's simple. It's not one of his, but it's really amazing. And it makes, it makes it sets up the reveals that come at the end. I won't say specifically what they are, but they do involve twitching, as Rob alluded. Yeah. Uh, we didn't see that for no reason. We stop, pause, and labor on it, so it is going to come up later. Um, 
it's just it's the it's again and Hitchcock knows this. He's, it's in the rule of the bomb. It's in the other things. It's the setup is everything. The setup is everything. And if you do that right, then the payoff, even if it's silly or whatever, even if it's a MacGuffin, it it works. And compared yeah. to Thirty Nine Steps, which I also liked, I just felt like it worked like a charm in this movie. Yeah, I really, really liked it. Uh, a, a couple other sequences that I really like. I wonder what you think of uh, when they drive the car into the old mine. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love stuff I, like that. Yeah, I did too. I did too. It's I mean, like, I love stuff oh. like that in any movie, and it's great yep. in this. All the stuff. I mean, all the the trials of the car, the getting the gas for the car, and you know what I mean. Like all of that is yep. super fun. The way Nova drives the thing, like she's. She's clearly driving it out in the country. There's still some process when they're driving at night or whatever, but yeah. But it, it she's driving that car around in the countryside. You can see because he he makes a point of showing you that that's happening. Yeah. Uh, she must have sat with a driver and really learned how to do that. I would think because yeah. that not so much because she couldn't drive, but that car she may not have been able to drive. I don't know back in the 30s, and and that car is is more antiquated than that even it's this, yeah so it's would have there weren't easy to handle those roadsters with the big long fronts where the little wheels turned like bicycle wheels up front right. they're, they're not easy to handle that car in captain america first avenger that's an impossible car you could not drive that car period it would just wouldn't do anything that you wanted it to do it looks cool but right and this car is and this car is just an almost impossible car, but I'm impressed that the actor was driving it. The, and the, the dog, thing, the dog's adorable. Dogs are always yes. great. Yeah. Um, the other thing I, I really kind of liked in this, and it's not it, usually in, in all of these early films, and, and there's some of this in The Lady Vanishes to his miniature work. Um, you know it's miniature work. Yeah, yeah. And we saw it in Night Train in Munich, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's so neat. Yeah, I agree. It's just like really neat. And there's a couple moments where you go, God, if you hadn't had the guy raise his hand or or something like that, that that shot would have worked even, you know, I might not have even been totally sure it was a miniature, uh, because they're so well done. But um a lot of fun miniature work in in several of these early British ones. And that, that mind one. sequence, just to get back to that, that is yeah. worthy of a big ending of any of these movies. And it isn't, yep. it's, it is it's the end of the, the second ending. act is all it yeah. is. And mm-hmm. it, it's, it's fantastic. I, I loved it. it. Is. My, the version, the DVD version and my DVD player didn't get along. And it, after that sequence, every time it would jump back to the start of the movie and start oh. playing it. Like, like, you don't need to see anything more. The mind sequence is the awesomest thing. <laughs> you know what? We're done here. Yeah. We're done. We're done. If you want to watch it again, you are allowed to watch from the beginning through the end <laughs> right. of the mind sequence. But we, you don't need to see the end of this one. You, you know how it's going to turn it out. In full, right? Yeah, I did eventually. Okay. But in the next day, like in pieces, right. basically. So. And I was worried it was my fault that, although I don't see how it could have been, I was worried it was my fault that DVD wasn't working. So the Blu-ray that you gave me ages ago, I gave back to you in the piles, so just in case, so that 
hell or high water, you've got a version of Young and Innocent in your collection. Okay. And if you don't need one, you can always give one back to me. I'll take it. Because I, I was very taken with it. I really loved it. I had a really great time watching that one. Cool. Yeah. All right. The Lady All Vanishes. Right. The Lady Vanishes. Let's move on. This one is 1938. This is um, um, the beautiful Margaret Lockwood. Boy, is she pretty. Um, while traveling in continental Europe, a rich young playgirl realizes that an elderly lady seems to have disappeared from the train. Um, Where'd she go? Yeah. Where'd she go? And why, why would the, who the what the? And why does um, she care so much? And why much? does she care so much? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. She, and to her credit, her force of will, she makes us care, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And that's, of course, the... Uh, although this film gets too complicated for its own good, in my opinion, that simple premise in the whole middle of the film is fantastic. I mean, just that idea that this, mm -hmm. you know poof, somebody's gone and somebody becomes obsessed about it and has to figure it out. Um, even though the explanation is sort of disappointing, Rob, I have to say. By then, people are shooting at us and it's off to the races in terms of excitement and conventional thrills, so whatever. Um, this otherwise was a fantastic movie. Our buddies are back. Um <laughs> Our buddies from yes. Night Train to Munich from... Uh... Yep. yep. This is their first appearance. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> Like I think we said at the time, I think they appeared as those characters in six films. Uh, this was and more than that, on radio movie. programs and all this uh, stuff, you know. But yeah, six films, only three of which they have the same names, but they are winkingly the same characters in all yeah. of them. Um, this is the scene, Calvary. this is a fantastic yep. dialogue scene of just about cricket, which is super fun. It is very appropriate that, that, that their introduction to us, not perhaps us as an audience in this group, but us, you know, the wider audience who saw these guys for the first time in this movie that they're, that all they're talking about is cricket. Yep. It's, it's so fun. And there's such a couple of funny British characters. I just love them. I think still my favorite thing is what's his face trying to buy the magazine and in, in not, Hitler's Germany the oh. the comic magazine i can't remember what it's actually called and he's he he asks for it and the german newsstand lady this is night train to munich sorry guys i'm talking right. about a totally different movie oh, yeah, but yeah, we yeah. didn't talk about this back then so i'm talking about yeah. it now um yeah and he's like well I'll see if they have a copy of whatever and he he asked this old grumpy german lady and she's like no, we have this and this. You know, we have state-sponsored this and we got this. Right. And he's like, he says they don't have it. And he's like, hmm, sold out, presumably. <laughs> <laughs> Just, that's a good introduction to who these guys are. They're yep. so clueless, and yet they're not stupid. Right. They're just, they're single-minded in the wrong way all the time. And it, it, that is, that they'd be intolerable if they were clowns or buffoons. They're not. They're really... You really buy into who they are, and they are a yep. huge asset to this film. Yep, and they do step up just like in Night Train to Munich when, they, yep, when they finally like when the okay, chips are down. This is important. Let's dig in and do our part. Yep. yep. <laughs> so I love that about it. I just felt like I know there's like a big shootout at the end of this movie too. I can't quite figure out why that was happening exactly. I mean, I kind of know why, but. It, 
-hmm. I, I just kind of like the pieces of this one don't fit together really, really nicely. The part I was most excited about was the woman saying she saw somebody who vanished, nobody else being able to relate to that, or even if there's a hint that they can, they don't seem to care, and they don't really know why she cares. This is a, you know, this is a thing that's been carried on in future films, and it's... um. I love it. I mean, I love it. And Margaret Lockwood's fantastic. She's the perfect woman to be at the center of this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I think Michael Redgrave's also fantastic. Well cast mm-hmm. in this. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, he's really uh, yeah he's really a lot of fun. Um, sort of as this you know as a cad, um, cad with a heart of gold. Yeah, yeah, a uh, cat who who's more than he seems at first. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, th- this movie. Really, so, I so also... Night Train to Munich, which came later, but they're have very mm-hmm. they're very similar in tone and in yeah. the relationships. They share this mm-hmm. set of actors. They both have really. Uh, the Lady Vanishes really is a almost a hundred percent train movie. Yeah. Whereas Night Train, yeah, it's only the it take, middle I mean, part it of it. It takes you. It takes thirty minutes to get to the train, though. Yeah, true. Um, that, but it, but that, then that that's whole, it. Yeah, the whole third. You mean that whole the opening thirty minutes is? Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it, it, we're obviously we're establishing these characters. We're uh, you know we're establishing some relationships and stuff. But and I'm just like I'm like what what is happening with the, with this thing why hmm. what is going on and then you of course then you get the the then you get the the singer uh outside yeah <laughs> um yeah and, and and his uh and and his ending uh uh to to that like that's how the whole hotel section ends um is this with is with the uh the well, I guess we'll just say the singer stopping his his song. Yeah, sure. Uh, and it, yeah, and it's it, it is. It's just like what what is happening? And then then she gets hit on the head by falling rock, I guess, from a crumbling. No, it, it was a murder attempt on Miss Foy. Um, somebody pushed a plant oh, yeah, from up course. above, and, and it uh. Yep, she gets uh, yeah, not a random her. event, but no. yeah, but which is which is also hilarious that if it was a succeeded... really inefficient and uh, not odds in your favor way of attempting to kill somebody. Right. I love the idea that um, I love the idea that they had this whole uh, that there was this whole uh, conspiracy planned on the train, and then someone went, "Well, uh, why don't we just try to put, push push something off and try to knock her on the head." <laughs> Hey, you know that's a really good idea. Let's let's give that a go. But you know, we'll keep this really convoluted thing as a backup. Yeah. Well, maybe so. the convoluted plan on the train was put in motion very quickly when that oh, didn't be, work. That's impressive. Because that they had be a radio head, a patient came on, so they could make a swap. Everybody who was in on the conspiracy wasn't necessarily in it to begin with they were just instructed later because of power that was held over them um i don't know it's complicated and it doesn't pay off in a in a very cool way like i say the thing that's great about this is that the very cool central characters and the the just that it, the movie works best when you don't know what the hell is going on to use joel's mm-hmm. <laughs> term yeah it really it 
and that's something that we, I think, as modern audiences, not to be too hard on us, but I think we've we're so used to being looked out for and have all of our questions answered even if they don't need answers and definitely all of the films that have come out to have that have all these reworked and re-edited beginnings so that we know what's happening as soon as possible and this film you don't really know and then even when it's over you kind of know but you don't you're like Ugh. you try to connect the dots it's a bit of a trick uh, it's still, we're not giving it enough credit for what it is, which it's just absurdly from scene to scene. It's just really, really sharply written, well acted, yeah. uh, dynamically shot, and a just super entertaining film. So so it is all it's cracked up to be. It's The Lady Vanishes, to me, is a very famous title, right? It, it And it... It, it is great. I admit I had checked out. I by the time the the the, the gunfight starts, I had sort of checked out. I've been like this. This isn't where I expected this for me the us to be at went, this point. And I yeah, expected like somebody little, running was, around on the roof of the train and somebody hanging off the back of it or something, something like more like that. Mm -hmm. Where and, and what we got was this other thing, and I just you know, but it doesn't matter. It, Lady Vanishes was a blast. It was a you could tell it was a culmination of sorts. Yeah. To this group of films in terms yeah. of technique and just in terms of pure sort of audience pleasing stuff. And I liked it for that reason. So, But it is yeah, like, I, I, if it doesn't sound like we're hitting the highlights from a plot standpoint, it's because you, you, you just, you, A, you don't want to ruin got, everything. Yeah, and B, yeah. you, you, to get into any of it is to have to get into all of it. It's kind of, I think that's really fair good. to say. Yeah. 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 The, the, I mean, the big, the big question uh, of it is, you know, why does, um, why does she care? Why does, uh, Iris care so much that, that, you know, that she's, you know, and then there's, yeah, the great moment when she's like, you know what? I, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Uh, I, I, well, I guess I am wrong. There's a moment uh, like that in all of these where the person yeah. just gets browbeaten into not, mm -hmm. yeah into believing the falsehood eventually before something, before some other realization or some other light bulb goes off. Yeah, I agree with that. But I, and I don't, you know, why are you, she's so upset. I get it. Your obsession yeah. happens when you least expect it sometimes. And sometimes you just can't let go of something. I, I thought that was, again, that's a credit to the actor because it's a tricky thing to play without being overbearing and annoying. But, mm -hmm. but it, it, it's, that's the oldest Probably. story in the book, really. When you just and, may, and maybe you know you bring up a good point. the The fact that um, Caldecott and Charters are 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 two uh, <laughs> are two hilarious cricket loving uh, fellows. Mm -hmm. It's like they're it's like they're always like right at the right moment. They're always there to sort of like, oh, there she goes. She's off her you know she's off her boil yeah. again. Right, right, right. You know, like they like the fact that they kind of call attention to it in a, in such a dismissive manner mm -hmm. a lot, you know, it, it's sort of like, yeah, no, no, guys, she's right. You know, you kind of helps helps keep you on her side yeah. when she's, you know, getting I don't want to say hysterical, but when she's really getting heated about where's Miss Freud, where's Miss Freud anymore? Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, but where's you know when she's when she's like, no, you got to believe me, got to believe me, and and it's these two, it's these two really droll, they just dry as a bone uh, yeah, yeah, British yeah. dudes. <laughs> right. like, 
when they come to uh, the look that these two dudes give them when they come down in the hotel in their tuxedos to eat. Yeah. Um, the two dudes who just give them the look like, dude, where do you think you are? <laughs> yeah. I, I, that, that I'm like, that to me was, again, that was sort of like, oh, it's, th- we're, this is, you know, it, it gave me permission. In fact, it was one of those things where it's like you, you think of Hitchcock and suspense and everything, and you forget just how funny um, Hitchcock yeah. can be. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And and there's lots of wonderful humor. Uh, it really, in, in all but a couple of these, these are all yeah. movies that are full of funny stuff yeah. where he yeah. really does have it all. It can be funny. It can be suspenseful. It can be, you know, what it can be everything. It can, that can all be in one movie. And I don't think, you know, those tonal shifts, they're, they're difficult. It takes a master to pull them off, even in a pedestrian story. Mm-hmm. Lady Vanishes is fun. It's a tricky story. There's a lot you got to pull off to make it work, actually. But, uh, but the biggest thing is the, is, is, you know, recognizing her, her obsession with this situation and, but also being able to see it from the outside as a comic and, and fun thing. Yeah. But I think it's mm-hmm. human nature. You know, we, if we do get stuck on something, the more people tell us we're crazy, the, the more we sort of insist we're not. You really do, people dig their feet in, and I think that's all, plays all very naturally in the plot of this, and, and it's fun. It's, it's, that's the conversation I get all the time when people ask me why, uh, why I'm still doing this show. <laughs> and i'm like no we're gonna you know so I, I dig in and i'm like no we're we're and like you must you must be crazy to continue to do this show so joel uh, what did yes. you what did you think of the end when the train car is is stuck in the woods and they're having to shoot it out and trying to figure out how to uh, how to get out of that situation and- um okay so I, you know, I, 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 I was with the film. I, I was with it at that point. And I, I just felt like the shootout went on too long. Um, There's a lot of scene work happening during yeah. it, though, to be fair. But yeah. That no, was no. My I, and I, and I get all that. And then, and then to have all of this happen. And then the, the subject of the shooting, the main reason for the shootout to go by, you know, I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to sneak out the back um and and they're like but you're gonna you know and which also her running away from the train and you know kind of almost serpentining while she's running uh brought me a lot of joy um i, I love that shot in particular and the yeah that for you did she make it oh yeah did she make it yeah that that is a great shot just, um when when she can when she gets down just over the little ridge yeah um uh, yeah, I mean, it was it, it was good. I, um, you know, the uh, there, yeah, there's a lot there's a lot going on. The dude who uh, who's just like you all are fools. Right. I'm gonna do the sensible thing and and you know and give up. Uh, you know, it was like what what is that? What, and it was like was that his whole purpose? Was that was to lead up to that moment? Well, his whole purpose was to be one more no- naysayer, like, no, there's no woman here. And yeah. all, all the reasons why that could continue to be plausible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, everyone uh, but the audience. 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, so it, it, it was, it was fine. Uh, you know, it was, I, I, but like where Ryan said, he was sort of like, ah, kind of checking out a little bit at that point. I was like, Nope, I'm in, I'm in, I'm all in go. Sure. You're going to have a shootout with, you know, you're going to, you're going to have an, uh, uh, either a six shot or an eight shot pistol that's going to fire like 22 times. <laughs> right. Um, I'm, I'm here for it. Go bring it on the dude who got knocked out. Oh, this, this actually made me happy when the, the, the cop who they knocked out actually woke back up. Yeah. 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 And I'm cool. like, wow, that almost never happens. Once right. you're knocked out, you're, you're right. conveniently knocked out for the duration of the, uh, of the, uh, uh, uh you know, the, the, the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. So him waking back up, I was all for that. Okay. Um, Set up yeah, chaos, I, you know, I, I become cool. curious because, like when Ryan says what he did, it's like, you know, I've I've lived with these films for 40 years. I can't see them with fresh eyes. Yeah, yeah. I, I it's hard for me to see like what works and what doesn't mm-hmm. with films I've seen a dozen times or more. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just they're just so ingrained and I fell in love with them and memorized them as at such a young age you know i'd probably seen the lay vanishes you know four or five times by the time i was 15 um you know it just it's ingrained in your brain and and you you don't see Mm -hmm. some things that sometimes well and you really do take for granted this older era like there there really are some things I don't know in each of these, and I'm not necessarily sure where there are. There are a few things I was aware of, but there really are things that audiences were experiencing to some degree for the first time. There are techniques and storytelling going on by this filmmaker in the 30s, you know, before the war, with that were yeah. so fresh and so just the just the just the this the style of storytelling was just sweeping people away, and some of that you still notice because some of it is just so bracingly original but some of it became the language of film right and you you so yeah, you true. you watch a movie from 1937 and in 2022 and you you may be aware how well i mean i don't think i you know what i mean what was yeah. artificial what wasn't this or that the miniatures the the mine whatever the train i mean you 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 don't appreciate how much this set the stage not just for future Hitchcock cinema, mm-hmm. just future cinema. These yeah. the masters of yeah. this era were creating the way you did stuff. They're create yeah, they're creating that language. The they're having, you know, what you think of as trope now, these were original thoughts at, at this time. <laughs> and and yeah, that I try I always try to keep that in mind too. Um Rob, if you're I mean I know that you said it's it's you can't look at these with fresh eyes. Um, if I may, I would just I would like to suggest to you going back listening to um, to the show two episodes ago, and and you probably could go see Chu uh, in Blade Runner, and he'll give you a, a set of fresh eyes. Yeah, okay. um, to see these things. So go to the so, eye works. Um, go to the eye works. Get yourself set up. Um, all right, everybody. So uh, those are six of. Um, Six of Alfred Hitchcock's early, uh, well, I, not early, but these are his British period. And, uh, you know, that's just our discussion. I hope you really, really liked it. Hope you got, uh, you know, going to go check out some of these films. They're really, really uh, super fun. Yeah. Let the guys and, know uh, if you want more. 
Yep. Yep. Please, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, you need to tell us. And and uh, do you have thoughts on Hitchcock? Do you have favorite I think it's Hitchcock really a matter moments? of uh, you need to tell us if you don't want any more because the chances that we're going to do the next set of Hitchcock films are, but it's sometime in the new year is very high right now. So that's true. It's more that you there need to that. put an ixnay on the Hitchcock hay than. Yep. Than, than to praise us, although certainly and, and that then is say, welcome at any time. Don't, don't tell Dunkelberg it was me, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then I just imagine Rob like eventually like I don't know going to whomever it was that right, you know, and, just, and gives them the kiss of death and goes, I know it was you. Yeah, I know it was you that killed the future Hitchcock um, shows. Um, uh, but that's upcoming shows. Yeah. Dr. Andrew Maz Mazzy is going to come on the show and talk about the lesser disaster movies of the 70s. <laughs> Andrew, when he, uh, Maz, when he was on our show, on our dad's movie show, <laughs> was all like, I could do this. We could talk about this. We're like, dude, do you even listen to the show? We talked about all these already. And he's like, well, we could do the modern ones then. No, talked about those, bro. Yep. It was just, it was wa watching his, because uh, his enthusiasm for movies is infectious. And completely without snobbery, and I love that about him. And his, uh, he wants to talk about stuff. So I went back and I was like, "Well, let's see what we can scoop up out of the bottom of the mm -hmm. monkey barrel." And uh, and there's there was some stuff there still to talk about. So that's coming up. Cool. Um, supposed supposed to be our next show, but our schedules are a little goofy. So bear with us a little bit. But that is coming up soon. It's coming um, up soon. Yeah, uh, his wife the one and only dana del val who has been on the show a couple of times and most notably for our jane austen episode has agreed in principle to do an elizabeth gaskell show i'll tell you those right now i because they're long they're mini series they're all mini series so you just if you want to watch those along with us before christmas they are thus they are wives and daughters uh, these are all re of recent vintage. Many of these have been adapted many times throughout the years uh, in different BBC and Masterpiece Theater settings. But these are all the ones of the aughts and, and forward-ish, maybe late 90s in there too. But Wives and Daughters, North and South, Cranford, and Return to Cranford. Those are going to be the Elizabeth Gaspel miniseries as we're talking about. They're all delightful if you love... They're all delightful if you love period dramas. And Hollywood has not been doing right by us in a period drama way lately. They've been screwing the pooch big time. So... So we got that coming, right? We got mm -hmm. a double feature episode again where we'll have Rob back and Michael back. It's always That's always fun for uh, some variation on Halloween movies. That'll be late in October. I'm watching, Joel will be relieved to hear, I am not watching 62 Halloween movies this year. I'm only watching 30-ish. So we'll have that, that the day before that, Halloween. Plenty of time for you that, to catch all 30 movies before the trick-or-treating yes, starts. That is in no way excessive. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's less. No. It's a lot less than the last two years it, is all it I'm is, saying. It is. We'll be, yeah. Yeah, so. Maybe in may, one show. That number maybe may evolve. It's still maybe. a while to Halloween, but I think we're gonna. I'm going to stick to about that many. Um, 
recent, some very recent and relatively recent Halloween movies. Um, no, Scream won't be in there. No, Halloween Kills won't be there. There will be no Nightmare on Elm Street remakes, reboots whatsoever. There will be no Fear Street. There will be no R.L. Stein. If this is the kind of stuff you like, take a hike. But I will be review, uh, reviewing as many interesting horror movies as I can. Some of them, rest assured, will be super crappy. I promise. I mean, that's just that's just math. Mm -hmm. um, that, that is the movie show promise. Yep. And sometime before the end of the year, I don't know when. I don't know what. <laughs> it's movie club, baby. It's back. Hey, movie club will be back, and We've we'll do a movie Christmas club. movie club. We've missed movie club, and our buddy Shauna so much, and she's going to come back yep. and do a show with us. So that's happening. And anything else that I'm forgetting, Joel? Carol Ballard, nope. William Hurt. The uh, countdowns of the, the works of these people are coming. Um, who is the other actor that we, James Conn, maybe James Conn, unfortunately, unlike William Hurt, James Conn requires me to watch about four or five things, which is hard to get that on my schedule with all these shows, mm -hmm. but I, we do want to honor him. And there are some very fun unwatched films on his filmography that I want to get to watch them. And Rob will have ideas. He always does. Yep. Thanks for and, this uh, one, man. It's. You know, I'd only seen two Hitchcock films, and now I've seen eight. And by the time, there, there by go. the next time we do this, you know what I mean? I'll have seen yep. fourteen. It's just, and it's just going to keep getting more and more. And and they they've been great so far. And I don't think these are necessarily the best ones. I think right. we're it's going to be really really fun oh, yeah. going through these with you. Yep. So uh, this is sort of film school with Rob, but we're starting off. And I think rightly so, and I think conveniently so, because there's so many great ones. We're starting off with Hitchcock, and it's all fresh eyes for me. So that's, that's an exciting that's idea. That's exciting for me, too. Yeah, I love sharing something that people then buy. I've had it you. sitting on the shelf over here for ages, mm -hmm. most of these. Most yeah. from Rebecca to, pre to his death. Not all, but just most of them. The majority mm -hmm. of the films of that era. Um, right. I just... It's hard. It, it's like when you start buying Frank Zappa albums for the first time. It's like, what do you listen to? There's 900 albums. Right. right. And you just, you feel <laughs> overwhelmed by it. And as a result, they just sort of sit and you have them and you're proud of it. People walk through the room and they're like, oh, you're a Hitchcock fan. And you're like, yeah, sure. sure. I guess I am. <laughs> I, he, I'm a Hitchcock I do like that. owner. <laughs> yeah. By the time it's over, we might be able to say yeah. that legitimately yeah. and with some authority, and that's neat. So thanks for coming on, and yeah. thanks for this this thanks curated for early Hitchcock films. This, especially this era, we needed this. So thank you. Yep. All right. You can reach out to us at the movie show with Joel and Ryan on Facebook, on uh, Instagram, TikTok, and uh, Twitter at Ask Joel and Ryan. Ask Joel and Ryan at gmail.com. And of course, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can like and subscribe, and you can. Uh, you can reach uh, reach us here too, and we will um, we will get back to you. So thank you all very much. As Rob says, sharing is caring, and that is the Hitchcock way. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to the movie show with Joel and Ryan. Remember, all views and opinions represented in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the speaker and do not represent those people, institutions, or organizations that the speaker may or may not be associated with, unless explicitly stated. None of these views and opinions were intended to malign or deceive. And now, here's the producers, circa 1982, to play us out. <laughs>